This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 367. And the quote of the day is, you have to fight through some bad days to earn some of the best days of your life. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's happening, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, and this is episode 367 of the podcast. Hope you're doing well. Hey, quick note, I am back with the Nick's Monday Mix. Uh, I got a lot of emails about it, asking where it went. Uh, frankly, I was lazy, and I didn't do it. So, full transparency here. So, uh, I started it back up. So, if you want to get the Nick's Monday Mix email, all you have to do is just go to drummersresource.com, sign up for the mailing list. You'll get a copy of my ebook for free as well. And it is just a list. It's it's the latest release that just came out, the latest podcast, because it comes out on Monday. And then just some interesting stuff that I'm reading or that I'm watching or some things that I think you'll dig. Uh, most of it's music related stuff, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just a random book that I think that you may you may like. It's all it's all relatable one way or another to being an artist, being a creative, being a drummer. And so it's always it's always relative. But you know, I'm not going to put in there like. I don't know. I can't even think of anything that's not relative. Anyway, so if you want to sign up, just go to drummersresource.com. You can do it there. And I want to get right into this conversation. This is with Matt Pointer. And this is this is really cool. Matt and I met through the podcast. He listens to the podcast and emailed me. And he was on tour with Galactic with his band, The Hip Abduction. They were opening for Galactic. And he was telling me how much he dug the podcast. And and how he and Stanton were talking about and everything, which is the most amazing compliment that I could get. And I wanted to bring him on because, you know, once in a while I do these listener spotlights and my goal is to spotlight people who are out there, they're playing full time, they're playing big gigs, and they may not be the biggest household name. So they may not be on the cover of Modern Drummer Magazine. They may not, you know, be touring with Justin Timberlake or Bruno Mars, but they, they're out there doing it and they have a lot of advice for some real deal, like working level players. So I think this is a an amazing interview. We talk about his transition from working and playing to transitioning into full time and all that kind of stuff. So some really great insight for you. So let's get into it with Matt Pointer. Matt, what's going on, my man? Hey, Nick. How you doing? Uh, I'm well, man. I'm well. Thanks for thanks so much for doing this. I apologize. I want to publicly apologize for having to reschedule our uh, our last one. I was I got I got the Nam Thrax. Yeah, it's all good. I'm glad you're feeling better, man. Yeah, I'm thank super you. happy to be here. So it's amazing, man. You, like coming back from Nam, and you have all. So you're like, okay, the week of Nam, you don't get anything done because you're you're at Nam, right? So there's no like administrative stuff. And then you get home, and you're like, oh man, I got 87. I'm gonna email all these people and everything. And I had all this stuff scheduled, and I'm just like, email to everyone. I'm like next week it's got to be next week <laughs> like i just can't uh, <laughs> you know you're like so you're following up with everyone and you're like sorry i didn't i didn't get back to you uh last week and you know it's like it makes you seem like this guy who doesn't who doesn't follow up or anything but i'm like no no worries i'm just happy to be here man yeah awesome. uh, dude i am uh, i'm happy to have you like you and i have been emailing back and forth for a long time i mean i think i was looking back i think the first time we talked was like 2015 or something like that like, yeah it could have been yeah um when I first discovered your show, probably, yeah, I reached out just to tell you, I think, that yeah. I enjoyed the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reached out again, maybe in November, because I was on tour with Galactic, or I was support for Galactic, mm-hmm. and um, 
we were, Stanton Moore and I were talking about you. So that's right. how that came about. So <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> tell, I'll tell you a funny story about Stanton. So, uh, or I'll tell, this is a, a funny story for everyone. Um, so I've known Stanton for, man, I don't know, 10 years, right? Okay. And like, and we've hung, like, we've hung heavy, like, like had dinner together, you know, like, not just like in passing have seen each other. Like every time he's in town, like he gives me passes, and like hung hardcore, right? Anytime I would see him at PASIC or NAM or anything, I'd be like, yo, what's up, man? And he would look down at my badge. And be like, and then look up and be like, Nick, what's up, man? Right? Oh, yeah. And I'm like, how did like how does he not remember? So uh, we were at the Vic Firth 50th anniversary party, and like he's done this to me numerous times, right? So I saw him at the 50th anniversary party for Vic Firth a few years ago, and he comes up and he's like, Nick, what's up? And he like gives me a hug, and I kind of like step back and looked at his badge, and was like, Oh, Stanton, hey, what's oh, up? Perfect. <laughs> Full circle. That's and, great. And, and he's like, he's like, what the and like? It, it was just funny, but I'm like, I got to get it back for this. I'm like, it just seemed. It was like, it was like a five year period where he would always like look at my badge, like he didn't know who I was. I don't know. Like I, he great. wasn't doing it to be funny. He was being, he was being serious. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, oh, I see so many people, but that's I mean, what it I is. I mean, the guy, though. the guy meets you know thousands oh, of yeah. people, and I think it's different when you're like when you meet someone, um, and and you have context to it, but like. Probably like if I ran into you at Nam, right? I would for a second I would be like, because because you're like this could be anyone, right? You know what I mean? Course. Like because it, it'd be different if you're like if I saw you behind a drum set at some random club, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's Matt, right? But yeah. like I see so you see somebody at Nam, you're like this could be anybody. I like there there it could be it's definitely probably a drummer, so that doesn't help me narrow it down. They're in the music business. Okay, that doesn't narrow it down at all for me. Right. You know what I mean? Cuz everyone here is in the music business. Of course, yeah. So, anyway, I'm rambling. I don't know. No, you're good. But um so so let's talk about I want to talk about you getting into drums. I always like to build a little bit of context and coincidentally, uh you and I sort of got into music the same way. Started playing piano, I started playing piano. Uh, at the same age you did, I played for like nine years. You played for around the same amount of time, right? Right. Yeah, correct. Started playing drums at 15. I started playing drums at 15. So I'm like reading all this. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Um, yeah. So why piano? In, in and So first, well, rewind that one question before that. Were you born in St. Pete's? Yeah, um, St. Petersburg. Well, technically Seminole, uh, okay. which is just on the outskirts there. It's a small is that town, where like but, the uh, – is that um, – I went to the the big Cypress, the Seminole Indian Reservation. Is that anywhere around there? Oh man, I'm not sure. No, no, that's in the Everglades. So. There's oh yeah yeah okay. Never and there's a Seminole County too, so people confuse the two. So I just I say St. Pete. I got. But you. Uh, yeah, as far as music as a whole, um, it's cool. I have this home video of my dad on Christmas Eve uh, in 1994, and he's talking. He's showing the presents. You know, I'm sleeping, and he says. Uh, this year I got Maddie a piano, and ever since he was old enough to sit up, he's been to music. So I hope he sticks with it. And I watch that video all the time now. You know, it's a That's reminder. Awesome. It's pretty awesome. So um, I've always been in entertaining, just whether it's dancing or comedy or mm-hmm. uh, music. But you know, I was like the little child at the restaurant that was running around and grabbing things off people's tables. And if there was a live musician there, I would stop dead in my tracks and watch them. You know, and and my parents realized that and. I wanted a drum set. They said, no, you're four. It's too loud. <laughs> and so when I turned five, they got me a piano uh, because I did show interest in piano as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's something you know a little more controlled. So I started with lessons. Um, I hit middle school and I wanted to play saxophone and you know still wanted the drum set, but it was always a no. <laughs> right. And then I got to guitar. Which saxophones usually not the first instrument or second instrument that someone that age picks up. Yeah, but in school, uh, when I joined band, they kind of had us go around to each instrument and see what we were good at and what we could possibly start at. And, I got you. You know, what would be good. And uh, I really wanted to do drums, but he's like, I have too many drummers already. So we got the sax, and that's what I landed on. Um, and I enjoyed it, and I played that through high school. And uh, finally, when I was 14, I got my first job, and I started saving for a drum set. I put one on layaway, and my dad recognized this. And... He finally came up to me and said, I'll match whatever you put into this drum set. Nice. And so, you know, I turned 15 and I had enough to get a drum set and cymbals and it's been so you know, it's history like, ever since. Anyone in your family musicians or anything or they just or your dad just saw that in you that that he should be he should be a musician. My grandma was in choir at her church and she played piano. But I didn't really see her. She was in Ohio and I've always been in Florida, so mm-hmm. but that kind of is in the family and then I found out just a couple of years ago that my dad was in drumline. In oh, school. really? And he, he never told me that until recently. Uh, and so he showed me his little cadences that he was doing and all that how stuff. Does that, how does that just not get brought up? I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was You're like, you do know I play drums, so right? Little. Yeah. He was so young and it was like the Civil War kind of drumline. Like the drum right. is literally between your arm and mm-hmm. hip and he's playing, you know, traditional that way. And uh, I think for some reason he might have been embarrassed or he forgot or who knows that's i think that's awesome that is awesome i'm surprised yeah. it, i'm surprised it took so long to to get brought up <laughs> right yeah so what was it tell me about your childhood a little bit what was it like in your house like what kind of what kind of stuff were you doing like what you know aside from going to school and all that like do you have a typical upbringing like what kind of music were was being played in in the house i always like to try to figure out and pinpoint like what it really was that that made you want to play or like kept pushing you along along the road of playing. So um, let's see. This is like a little embarrassing, but hey, it's part of what brought me here. So that's what I'm cool. We, that, and that's what we do here. <laughs> no, when I was little, um, trying to think what was first. I think Free Willy came out of the movie, mm-hmm. and I saw Michael Jackson's video, and my dad knew that I was into like singing and dancing and stuff, and he um, built me this little stage. Like, it had to be, like, three by three right. foot, you know. And uh, I would line up my family photos in front of me and dance to that music video and perform for them. Uh, that was, like, one of the first memories I have. Um, but as far as the actual playing music, it could just be from, like I said, when I was running around restaurants, I'd always just stop dead in my tracks at a musician and just stare at him watching, you know. And, right. uh, man... Drums, I think I was just attracted to that because they were so loud. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I was a defiant kid, so I was like, you know, what's better than drums? Right. Um, you know, the, the interesting and, thing yeah. about when you look at when you look at someone who's a professional musician and look at the things that they did when they were younger and we're probably, you know, I think Steve Jobs said you can't you can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can always connect the dots looking backwards. Right. So like if you look at the things that you were doing in in, you know, like you said, running around the restaurant, being stopped dead in your tracks when you were doing these performances in front of photographs. I mean, for me, I I can relate because I did the same stuff like my buddy and I, I was like, 
I grew up li- so I I grew up listening to when I was younger like hip hop and and I would listen to everything from like Bobby Brown and Boys to Men to like everything from like NWA and Eazy-E because I had an older brother and but I did the same thing like my buddy and I would like create these dance routines and the funny thing is my parents own a restaurant and I was like hey dad do you think that like my buddy Joey and I can dance out in front of the restaurant and like maybe people can give us tips and he's like ah we'll talk about it but he never let it go down <laughs> which was smart on his part but but those it's like all of these telling signs of like you know i used to write like little i don't not plays but like sort of like little skits with my buddy roger and we would film them you know and like you don't you don't think about it at the time you're like oh we're just being kids but then you know you talk to other people and they're like oh i never did that and they're not a musician or they're not an actor or an actress or you know or something like that and you're like oh like man i had this affinity for it a long time ago and i don't know what do you think it is though do you think it's just the way that the way that your brain works you know and and even at a young age you're it's like because i think everyone's creative right i've always wondered that i mean it's definitely intrinsic it's like I, f- I do feel like you're born into either it's the environment or i don't know maybe it is a hardwired thing in your brain but like nature um, or nurture right yeah yeah but yeah for me even all the way till i was 16 like i was I had a strobe light and I would put that on. If my parents were gone for the night, I would put the strobe light on and play through the system, you know, and mm-hmm. have music blasting instead of headphones. And I'd pretend I'd play a record from top to bottom and pretend I was in that band and yeah. playing for people. Um, and I think it was just always a passion of, I want to do this. You know, I want to play in front of as many people as I can. I want to, I want to entertain. And you don't, you don't process what it takes to actually get there at that age or anything. You just, mm-hmm. You're just wanting it, you know. So, so was it was it more of a I want to perform in front of people, or was it like I want to be rich and famous, and I want to be like I want to be a rock star? Oh man, that, uh, <laughs> back then it was both. Because um, I've always liked cheering people up, and comedy is another thing I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Stephen you Lynch, at, you know, are you good at comedy? I mean, on the fly here and there, but <laughs> uh, like, do you no, do it? Do you do? You don't do like a? You don't have a? Routine. I don't do stand up or anything. No, no. but. I've just always liked to creatively come up with a joke here and there. And yeah, yeah. I mean, that's off. a stand up. Like we think trying to be a, a professional drummer is hard. Stand up. That is a, that's a tough game, man. Oh, it's yeah. That that's is brutal. That is brutal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they don't get paid. They have like sometimes only seven minutes and at the start there and you know, yeah. just to get in is hard. So brutal. And I lived in New York city and like, there's just one comedy club after the next. And you went, mm-hmm. there's, like you said, there's 15 people on the bill. You know, they each have four minutes and, yeah. you know, there's three people in the audience and two of them are other comedians who are coming in to do stand up. And it's just, man, that's a, that's a, it's, it's way worse than like an open mic night of, of playing music. Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's way worse. People are, people are, are listening more probably than an open night, but hey, sure. open mic night. Sure. But you can get away with more, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're hiding behind the kit. <laughs> But what were you, so I cut you off though. You were talking about, um, you were talking about the, how, how much you like comedy and you would, you were, you mentioned someone's name. I didn't hear who you said though. Oh, Stephen Lynch. Uh, do you know that guy? He plays guitar and he, he, he's a comedian at the same time. His songs are vulgar as all hell, but, um, I, I was drawn to him at a young age because he's, you know, putting music with comedy and it was just, it was awesome. So do you like, we're seeing him on my birthday this year. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. I'll have to look up Stephen Lynch. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. I, I'll probably see him. And be like, oh yeah, I totally know that guy. Yeah, I'm so bad with. Vulgar, I'm, but... I'm really bad with names, but I I may know him. Um. So do you like Weird Al Yankovic? 
You know, and I haven't even checked him out much. No? I, I need to. Yeah, he you comes know who, to town in Clearwater, but... I mean, you know his deal, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do. I just that, haven't actually checked it out. And, and that band, check this out, that band has been together since 1983. Okay, wow. And they, so Bermuda Schwartz is their drummer, who I had on the podcast. He's been with them, you know, same deal since, since 83. And they're like, they're a legitimate band. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're they're a great band. There's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into their rehearsals. Like everyone sort of thinks that they're just out there, you know, goofing around. And, uh, hey, kitty. I'll say hi. Oh, to is you. there one? Yeah, I'll say hi oh, to your that's, cat. That's Nora. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's my little rescue girl. Nice. I'm a, I love, <laughs> I like cats. So, oh, I have plenty of them. Oh, dude, I only got one. I'm like, one's enough. But, uh, oh. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, they're like, you know, everyone thinks that they're just this comedy outfit that just goes out and, and just like sort of jokes their way through it. But it's, you know, 12 hour rehearsals. It is real deal stuff. First, the, the, I think, and I don't want to, don't quote me on this, but I know that they're, you know, like they've sold more records. I know that they've sold more comedy records than anyone ever. And, but they've also had the first number one record in the country and but they were a comedy record wow so not impressive. on the comedy charts but on the billboard charts like wow. no one's ever done that before that's um, amazing but it's cool just like the mixture of it, you know the mixture of comedy and so you know it's a little cheeky and it's it's like it's it's gimmicky but it's comedy you know um yeah but you should yeah you should go check it out if he, co- if he comes into town like it's pretty yeah it's, he comes to uh ruth eckerd hall on clearwater all the time oh does so he? i should I should just make it a point and go there. Yeah. And, the, you know, like I said, the band is, the band's great. And, and he, like you and I had talked about um, email and back and forth about you transitioning from a day gig. We talk about a lot, a lot of that with Bruno Schwartz, where he was like, you know, we would do these tours and then I would come home and I would go back to work. Yeah. Even, even when they were, you know, even when they started doing really, really well, he was like, yeah, I just, I still came home and was like, I don't need, you know, I don't need to just sit around and do nothing. So he kept his day gig and everything. So, so yeah, check right. it out. Anyway, that was our, that was a little aside about Weird Al and, and Bermuda and all that. But, um, so who else, is there other people that you check out that, that you dig that, that blend music and comedy? Uh, not really. That was like the first yeah. time I was drawn to that. And, uh, you know, and like I said about cheering people up, like my dad had a uh, gallbladder surgery when I was younger mm-hmm. and, you know, I played guitar and I would sing. So I would learn Stephen Lynch songs and come out and sing these songs. And I'm like 14 and I'm singing this vulgar stuff. And my dad's just like <laughs> cracking up. He's like, you can't make me laugh. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> you know, it's just always been something I've been into. It's just entertaining. It sounds like you and your pops have a really good relationship too. Yeah. 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 So talk about going going from, you know, being this 15-year-old kid in high school, 16-year-old kid to really deciding – I want to get serious about this. And I mean, was there a transition? Was there a gradual transition or was that, or was there a defining moment where you were like, I really want to get serious about, about playing and, and, you know, maybe not necessarily doing it as a career, but at least getting serious about my playing. Yeah. So my first band was a metal band and I was playing around a lot with them. And I kind of always thought that would be the band I'd, you know, grow up with and Mm -hmm. play together with. Um, And I guess I didn't know how to achieve doing it full time. And I just thought it would land in my lap or something. Right. So I had I had restaurant gigs, you know, I was doing um, not gigs, jobs. I was right. a busboy and stuff. Mm-hmm. And by the time I hit 20, you know, I'm starting to think about moving out and all this stuff. And I had one job at a restaurant that worked at night. And then I was a prep uh, chef in the morning. 
at another Tex-Mex restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. So I had hours like 5 a.m. to noon, and then I'd go work 5 to 10, and I realized I wasn't playing music at all. And I started to meet drummers at that time in the area that were gigging the cover gig scene full time. And I'm like, man, that's all they do for a living. You know, that's that's awesome. I want to do that. So I got in with a circle of these drummers and they would all text each other and say like, hey, you know, who's available for this gig? And it, it was basically first come, first serve. Whoever mm-hmm. responded to the text first got the gig. And here I was working and I never had time to do it. So that moment right then was I need to get out of this and I need to be available for these gigs because the texts were coming all the time and I wasn't able to do any of them. So I decided at that moment, I'm going to quit. I'm just going to go for it. Really? And there was a transition. Yeah, there was a transition where I was doing the 5 a.m. shift. I would go work at the restaurant at night, but they knew that I was trying to start gigging. So they would let me out early so I could go make a gig. And then I'd wake up, you know, I'd go to bed at 2 or 3 a.m. and then wake up at 5 or 4 and be at work by 5. So it was it was a harsh little couple months, but it paid off. How long did that? I was going to say, how long did that last? I want to say it was two months of that because, you know, once you start gigging out, your name gets around. One musician talks mm-hmm. to somebody and it's like exponential. Just one person tells one person who tells two people and then right. it just keeps going. You right. know? So, so what was the, what was the plan when you were, when you're like, all right, I'm just going to quit. Where was it just like, I'll just, I'll figure it out. Was there, did you have a, a safety net? I don't want to say a safety net, but did you have like a nest egg of money? Did you, or were you just like, Hey man, I have these opportunities. I'm going to capitalize on the opportunities that are coming in because I think, and the reason why I asked, I think you're in a different situation. You were in a different situation versus someone who doesn't have any potential gigs lined up, doesn't have any sort of anything, you know, on the burner. And they're like, I'm just going to quit my job because I want to be available for gigs. And I always tell people like, if you're not getting a lot of, if you're not getting a lot of bites right now, you're not getting a lot of calls that you can't make don't quit your job. Yeah. You know, that's, that's exactly, that's my opinion. But I think you were in a bit of a different situation. Yeah. I was very fortunate to still be living with my parents at that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was putting in towards bills, but it's not anything like if you live on your own. Sure. And, uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I was going to move in with her soon. So I, you know, I had all these things lined up pretty well. Um, so I'd be sharing rent and stuff, you know, when I did move in with her, uh, and like I said, I was starting to gig. And then once you're in the circle of, for me, it was a circle of drummers that helped me get this gig and, or all these gigs. But, um, once you're in that circle, as long as you're free for me, I was able to get all the gigs. So mm-hmm. I made myself free. Um, and the power of intent, man, I just thought about, this is what I want to do. It's going to happen. I, you visualize it. And, and then, uh, I made the decision to quit and it all worked out. So, yeah. It was, it was scary. It definitely wasn't like, oh, this is gonna, you know, for sure be it. But Right, right. And I mean, not, I, I don't mean this like to belittle what you've done. So so don't take it that way. But uh, the, I get, the good thing is, you know, how old were you, 20? It's yeah, not, you know, exactly. you weren't, you weren't 35 wife, kids, and you had a career as a lawyer. And you're like, I'm just going to quit everything with no gigs lined up and go and, and go do this. You know, it's yeah. like you could, if it didn't work out, like, even if you did it for five years, you know, and it didn't work out, you'd only be 25 and you could, you could figure something else out or, or whatever. I think, and, and I'd like to hear your opinion on this. I think that decision is different whether, I mean, it, it's different if you're 20 versus 35. Definitely. And the oh, approach yeah. has to be different if you're 20 or 35. Like I know plenty of guys who quit their jobs at 35 to play music professionally right. and some do it 
intelligently and they're like, I'm going to have a year's worth of money for bills and emergency fund and this and that and blah, 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 blah. Or other guys that are like, you know, they work as, you know, a busboy or a waiter and, you know, they're liver, they're like living paycheck to paycheck. And then they quit their gig at 35 with no source of revenue coming in at all. And they're like, I'm just going to figure it out. And I think that's a horrible idea. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm now just realizing that it's really smart to have like three months of savings. So like if I were to hurt myself, I'd have three months of bills paid, you know, mm -hmm. trying my hardest to, you know, my wife is very good with uh, financial planning. So she's like, always helping me out with that. And, and like you said, when you're 35 or 30 or whatever, you have kids or kids are more likely to be in your picture. Um, and now I'm 28 and touring and, uh, you know, I'm at that age where it's time to start thinking about it at least. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I want kids one day. So, uh, that is always in the back of my head. I'm like, man, that's going to be something crazy to have to figure out. So, mm -hmm. but there's guys out there that do it, you know, yeah. I'm pretty sure Keith Carlock has kids and, he does. uh, even Benny Greb's got a kid, mm -hmm. um, Stanton Moore, you know, all those guys. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if they can do it, then yeah, yeah. why can't I? So are you, are you opposed to, well, it depends because it depends on how much you like touring, but would you be opposed to staying home more or like getting a day gig and like playing with some super high caliber artists like on weekends and stuff like that? Or is that something that you're not willing to do? I mean, I love touring. I would definitely be down with like an artist that does fly dates and stuff, but yeah, ideally in my head, I don't know if this is actually able to be a reality or not, but um, ideally I'd be able to fly my kids or family out or yeah. have them join me on the bus for a couple runs, you know, or, um, and with my wife, I do, we fly her out every once in a while for like a weekend run. And mm -hmm. I think she's, she's learned better. <laughs> she just, <laughs> you know, has to sit in the, the sprinter van with us and, we're, we know we're guys, so right. <laughs> but no, nah, she she loves it, and she comes out when she can, and nice. she just got a new job. She's a a nurse now in a hospital, so oh, okay, she's going to be a lot more available, uh, working three nights a week, and then the rest are off, you know. Yeah. So so we'll see what happens. Nice. But, you had mentioned living or you know going out with the intent to do something and and visualizing and and that's something that's that that I'm a really big fan of of goal setting, you know, visualizing what you want to do, putting the proper steps in place to figure out how to do that. Are you, how methodical are you with that kind of stuff? Are you, are you sort of just a little, like you think about it or are you like really detailed where you're writing this stuff out and you have goals that you're trying to achieve every day or every month or whatever? Yeah. So I do write out my goals. I write out a uh, goals for now, goals for the year, uh, and I haven't written out goals for five years or anything like that, but mm -hmm. I do more like up to a year. Right. And then I write small steps on how to achieve those mm -hmm. or what I can change about my daily habits that could, you know, help me progress towards those goals. Sure. Um, like right now, one of my goals is to be good and uh, efficient with drum programming because mm -hmm. I'm trying to adapt to, you know, unfortunately some drummers are getting replaced with this stuff. And if I can, start getting good at drum programming then mm -hmm. maybe or there's just a lot of like even if you're even if you're programming stuff for triggering and all that kind of stuff exactly which i do with my band and i also want to get good with drum programming because I, I plan on this new record having uh electric drums and acoustic on the mm -hmm. record you know like a blend within and uh you know and live incorporating electronics is something that i do so right yeah just but as far as goals i write them out and 
like I, I, it helps me to visualize and just think that I'm already doing it. And then it helps me stay motivated and be like, yeah, we're going to do this, you know? So how are you, so. how are you tracking this stuff? Are you, you know, checking in with yourself every day to make sure like you have sort of daily habits that you go through. I'm, I'm really fascinated with, with daily habits and goal setting and how people are achieving the things that they're achieving and, and what, like what, what a typical day for you looks like, say if you're not on the road, cause I know like, the, you know, being mm -hmm. on the road is a crapshoot. So like yeah, yeah. every day is completely different than the day before, but when you're home, yeah. do you have, do you have certain things that you do on a daily basis? So yeah, if you enter my, where I am right now, the stu my, I live in a condo, so this is my studio. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you enter this room, I have a pad of paper at my desk and a pad of paper behind the drum set, mm -hmm. right? And basically, they have the same thing written on them, but it's just in multiple places, and I'm going to see it. So, uh, and I also have a little book. So, I don't know if you want to call it a journal, but it's more of a, a log that I keep private, you know, to myself, and it just tells me my goals, and I'll look at that maybe every couple of months that's more mm -hmm. like long term and just checking in with myself kind of thing and, right and it was really cool the new year i checked in with uh last year you know and it was really cool to see everything that i did accomplish and there were some things i didn't but mm -hmm. you know i just i'm pushing for those first so yeah yeah i think you know that it seems almost it seems almost tedious to be writing all this stuff down and and creating all these goals and i think that most people don't do it and then don't end up achieving the things that they want to achieve. Yeah. It's almost like an unfair advantage that if you really learn how to goal set and then actually achieve the goals, you're like, why, why doesn't everyone do this? Right. Like, it's well, almost you, like, it almost feels like an unfair advantage. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, when you're laying in bed and I, I don't know about you, but like my brain just races and, uh, Sometimes those are the best ideas for me. So I'll write them down in my phone, like in a reminder. Mm -hmm. And I'll wake up in the morning and see the reminder and then I'll write it down. But it's not like I'm writing down goals every day because that would be unrealistic to achieve. Right. That right. Many, you know what I mean? But sure. it's, um, it's more of a reminder to myself every day. Like, and especially, I call it PTSD, post-touring stress uh, you know, disorder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I get home from the road, like you did with Nam, I like don't know what to do with myself. So mm -hmm. if I have all these reminders... You know, I wake up in the morning, whoa, what do I need to do? Boom. Right. I need to get videos on social media, anything. Like, I, I try to set up just schedules for myself to achieve. And it's easy to come home from the road and for the first four days you're home, you're like, oh, I'm just like, I'm just, you know, sort of decompressing. And it's like, no, get to work. Like, you don't. You know, yeah. There's it's almost like, yeah, I go through like a depression because I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, <laughs> but right. I, I, you know, you just worked your butt off and you got to relax for a couple of days. But yeah, or, you know. It depends on how long you're out, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, totally. I just think, I don't know, for me, I'm a big believer in power of intent and just reminding myself daily of my goals and mm -hmm. I really see progress when that happens. So so with the idea of when you come home from, from tour and you sort of have like this low moment, because we all have it, right? We're, no, no one's up all the time. So it's, it's you second guess yourself, you have fear of failure, you have self-doubt, you have self-loathing, you have all, this, all these things that go into... <laughs> you know, into life. I'm not even going to say as a life as a musician, just life in general. Like I go through it too. I same thing. I'm like, what the, what am I doing in my life? Like, you know, <laughs> we all, I think we all have that. Um, it, for you, is it, is it mostly when you're, when you're not on the road and you're, you're feeling stagnant and, and you feel like you're, you're not making progress or is it just sort of like the ebb and flow of being a freelance musician? 
I think it's being stagnant. I mean, even though I'm gigging at home, it's like there's nothing uh, that gives me more pride than playing, you know, my own music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I love my cover gigs. I would not play the way I do without them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I absolutely love them. It's just this weird two-week moment that I have with myself, and it's it's dumb. It's no, There's no reason for it, you know. I'm drumming for a living, so, I, you know, why am I depressed right now, you know, or right. whatever. But, yeah, I think it's just the fact that it's back to real life kind of thing. It's like being on tour and sometimes it starts out rough and you're like, man, I'm glad to be home. But then as you go on through your career, you know, it's kind of like, man, that was, that was awesome. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I don't know how to explain that really. Do you have any, <laughs> do you have any ways that you, that you deal with it or that you get out of that spot? Because I think a lot of the listeners go through the same thing. Yeah. For me, it's just reminding myself, you know, look at what you do for a living and be grateful because you could be doing something else, you know. Mm-hmm. You could be unfortunate not be able to do this. Um, I find that getting into a, a, a health routine, like on the road I don't exercise nearly as much as I would at home. And mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't eat as well. Uh, so when I'm at home, I, I feel like that helps me too. It cheers me up, you know, because I'm bettering myself, my actual body. And um, So I get into a workout routine. I eat better. Uh yeah, get outside and play some drums. I still, I'm not like the type that gets home. It's like, I'm not touching my drum set for, you know, I still yeah. love my drums. It's Valentine's Day. I played my drums today, you know, to right. be like, I love you. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. That's all I do really. And it just comes with time for me. So The funny thing about the, the sort of the decompression point or, or, or staying away from your drums when you get home, there's a funny story. Um, Steve Smith was on tour with Farner and I think he was on tour for like a year or something like that. And got in, you know, eight o'clock at night or something like that. So the next morning, um, Rob from Hudson Music called him because they're planning on this release of this new book. And it was like 830 in the morning. And his wife's like, yeah, he's going to have to call you back. He's practicing. Uh. It's like (laughs) the dude got home like eight hours ago, you know, and he's already like up the next morning. He's like Steve Smith, man. You know, that's crazy. Just killing it. That's awesome. <laughs> that dude's a, I love that. I love the meme. It's uh, online. It's it's a lady and it says, um, it's a picture of a lady tied up. It's a, like a wife or something. And it says, she told me I could tie her up and do whatever I wanted. And the next photo, he's playing drums. I'm like, yeah. ah, great. That's <laughs> <laughs> so good. But, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so talk about the original band, man. I, 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 I want to talk about one, how you guys started the hip abduction and then and then how that band grew. I mean, you guys have toured with, you know, you guys, like you were saying, you were support with Galactic. You guys have played with a ton of different people. Um, so how did that whole thing get started? And I, and I think the story of growing it is, is really important too. Man. Uh, so this was where one of those instances or one of those moments where like just timing is everything. Right. So I'm, I'm auditioning for a college, uh, ensemble, like an R and B or rock. I forgot what it was. Um, at St. Petersburg College, and the panel of judges in front of me, um, well, one of them actually happened to be the drummer for Hip Abduction, and he pulled me out in the hall after my audition and asked me to do some private lessons with him. That's uh, Dr. Pat Hernley, who is a monster player, dude. He does, like, tablas and stuff, like, you want to believe. Anyway, he pulled me out, uh, had me do some lessons with him, and then two weeks into lessons, he goes, I want you to sub for my band. I, I need a drummer this night. And I didn't know this, but this was his way of auditioning drummers. He had been doing this with some of his students. And so I had to learn his songs. And the band has like 
a very heavy world influence to the music, mm-hmm. especially the older music was very uh, West African and Afro-Cuban. Um, the newer stuff's got a little more pop. But uh, yeah, he had me audition. Uh, the gig went great. And then over the course of time, I was subbing more and more for him. And yeah, and then one day he came to a rehearsal and told us he's having a boy and that he got promoted to... Um, or it was actually a girl. He and then he got promoted to the head of the music department at SPC. So in that time, the band was wanting to tour more, mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to do it because you know he wanted to stay at home and he had this job opportunity and it was just a timing, man. And you talk about this all the time, but you know how you say like uh, luck is when opportunity or preparation meets opportunity, mm-hmm. that kind of, of thing. That's basically exactly what that was. I had been studying uh, Afro-Cuban when I was in high school with a guy and you know i auditioned at this school this college now and and here's the drummer basically offering me his drum chair mm-hmm. uh and then the band just started touring so i was with the band when they started you know first started touring and that was six years ago and um you know and by touring i mean like one gig on the other side of florida a month and then <laughs> right and then it started to build you know three years ago we got asked to do a support tour for two weeks i think for a, a band called pacifier and that really got us motivated. We were like, man, this is, you know, this is awesome. Staying mm-hmm. in Motel 6s and eating Wendy's and this is great. I get it. Uh, <laughs> no, it was great though, dude. Um, and it was eye-opening and we all decided this is what we want to do. This is, let's do this. So mm-hmm. uh, I think we've just learned a lot over the years and now we have a management team and a booking agent. You know, we've gone through so many of those, but it's like girlfriends, you know, you got to find the right one. Yep. So Yep. <laughs> What was the but, what was the hardest part about about finding the management team and finding the booking agent? What'd you get first, the booking agent or the management team? Uh, booking agent. Well, yeah. he acted as both, which okay. was you know, um, and he was great. That guy was awesome. Uh, it's just that so some people only have contacts that go so far, and they can only help you so far. So we actually, it's not like we parted ways. Like, oh, you know, you ruined our band or anything. No, we we parted ways because he said, "I can't do any more for you guys. Right. We gotta." It's time to move on. So mm-hmm. he put us in contact with another guy um, out of Atlanta. And that guy, we were under contract that we could not book any shows unless they went through him. But then he didn't respond to email. So then we weren't playing shows, you know. So we had a break contract. And uh, and then we did get a manager after that who is one of the top promoters for Bonnaroo. So she had, like, all these hookups that she got us. And uh, Sirius XM radio, uh, which was huge. And then um, she hooked us up with the booking agent we have now. And then, yeah, it's just, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, I guess, I don't know, climbing a ladder kind of thing. You you work with people until they pass you on, like you're their baby and they're sending you off to school, you know? Yep. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> you but, know, the, the one thing that you'd said about the preparation um, and opportunity meeting, it's like there's so many people that – that say oh this person got lucky or this person got lucky it's like yeah they got lucky that they were in the situation to maybe meet this person but if they weren't ready if you weren't in a position to play like if you couldn't already if you couldn't play your ass off then guess what you wouldn't have gotten the gig exactly i don't care if you if you met sting and he loves you yeah and then he sees you play and he's like oh you don't play very well you're not going to get the gig. But if you played really well, someone would say, oh, he's so lucky he got that Sting gig. It's like, no, he, I'm prepared for this. And it just – and those opportunities – like you're probably – there's probably a lot of people who are getting a lot of opportunities 
in front of them right now and they just don't recognize them because they're not they're not skilled in that area. Like the other day I was sitting at a coffee shop and this guy behind me was talking about this company and the guy was like, "Man, I I'm looking for um he was looking for like a I forget, like a, a developer or something like that. And he was like, I really need someone who's a, he's like, I'm like, we'll pay this dude a lot of money. But he's like, we just can't find a good one. I, I'm i sitting there. I'm like, wow, that's a great opportunity for somebody. Not for me because I don't know shit about developing, right? But right, but if right. I but if I did, I would turn around and be like, hey, man, uh, I'm actually a really, you know, I'm like a rock star developer. And then, but then someone would be like, oh, well, Nick was lucky that he got that situation. It's like, no, I was prepared for it. It just so happened that this guy was there, you know? Yeah. But like, that's an opportunity yeah. right there that okay, I'm not prepared for it. You know, but like, I'm sure, right. I'm sure someone is prepared for it and, and they'll get that gig. So I think people, I, I think people, there are opportunities in front of people all the time and it's just the ones that they're prepared for and that they're not prepared for. Yep. Attitude and all that goes along with that. And of course, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah, it's like, have you ever read the book, um, the big gig by Zorro? Yeah, that dude, that right. book made me start drummer's resource. I forgot to say that that book was also in that time when I was working all these restaurant gigs. And, dude, changed my life. That that book and, dude, there's so many things I forgot to mention. Um, that book and a video by Alan Watts called What If Money Weren't an Object. Those two things came into my life at the exact same time and just completely uh, made me say, screw everything I'm doing right now. I'm going to figure this out. Because um, Alan Watts talks about what if money weren't an object? What would you do? What would you do on the weekends if you didn't you know if you don't have to go to work what do you do uh now imagine that you can make money doing this and figure you know if you want it bad enough you'll figure out a way to do it mm-hmm. and and then that mixed with the big gig was like man that was so awesome so i think zoro i actually messaged zoro yeah what year what year was that <sighs> what year did you read the big gig it had to be i think it came out in 2012 or something right or maybe it was earlier than that. No, it was earlier than that because I remember this is like a really douchey thing to say, but I was in, I, re- I was in Italy and I remember I took it with me to go to Italy uh, to read in Italy, and my wife and I had just started dating, and that was like 2011. Okay, that's about the time I read it. Um, I mean, that's a dude. That's a big transition from 2011 to what you're doing now. Yeah, totally. And that's I huge. still think about moments in that book in my head. You know, it's like. Do you know what I was doing uh, when I was reading that book in 2011? Was that? I was opening a restaurant. Oh, nice! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hey. So you and I are both like we got. I grew up in the in the family business of restaurants, and my brother wanted okay. me to. He was like, "Hey, do you want to be partners in this in this project?" And I was like, "All right, I'll do it for a year." And uh, that year turned out to be almost three years. But but I got out uh, and started Drummers Resource and all that stuff. But anyway, we're not here to talk about me. I'm just. It's just funny hey. that <laughs> you and I are both like, "Oh yeah, we're reading the big gig, and we're you know working at restaurants." Yeah, he talks about that moment when he was playing. And this is, I mean, I do go through that post-tour thing where I'm like down and, you know, I'm playing cover gigs or whatever. But I do also treat my cover gigs as if, you know, what if, not that he would, but what if Justin Timberlake walked in the door, you know? Right. Um, Because in Zorro's book, he talks about how he was playing a a cover gig and the band was killing, going song to song, not stopping, high energy. And I forgot who it was that saw him play at that club. I can't remember. But he got the gig because of, the way he played on this cover gig. So I can't remember though. Who it was, um, was it, it wasn't Bobby Brown. Um, I know this definitely story. funk. Yeah. Funk, uh, with horns. That's all I remember, but I don't know who it was. It was like cameo or somebody. That's what I think. Yeah. I, I do think it was cameo. Yeah. Maybe it was cameo. 
Well, we, you had mentioned Keith Carlock earlier. Keith Carlock got the gig by playing at the 55 bar in, in New York City. And uh, Becker and Fagan from Steely Dan would come in there all the time, sat in with them a couple of times. They're like, you're a great drummer. They start recording their new record. Uh, I think it was Two Against Nature um, was the first record Keith played on. And they hired him to do it. Um, uh, J.R. Robinson, uh, Shaka Khan came in and to see, I don't know, if, I don't know what happened, but Shaka Khan came in. And uh, and w- they were at this gig. Shaka Khan sat in, and they ended up hanging out all night. And then the next day, they they invited Jr. to just come to the sound check and come to the show in town. And they, he comes to sound check, and they're like, "Hey, do you want to like sit in on sound check?" And he's like, "Uh, sure." So he sits in on sound check, and they're like, "All right, you got the gig. We just fired the old drummer." Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. But like, but to your point, like you have no idea, you know, like dude, uh, seven, uh, seven dust, you know, the band. Yeah. They, they got that gig because a record exec was out partying with friends and they were in a limo and they were driving down the street and they had to go to one of the guys had to go or one of the girls had to go to the bathroom. They pull up in front of this bar and go in to use the bathroom. And this chick's like all drunk and she goes to uh, the guys in the band. She's like, you guys are amazing. I work for a record label. Uh, I'm going to call you guys uh, because I like, I want to sign you. And they're like, yeah, whatever. She was all drunk. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and it was true. And she signed him. Wow. And he's like, crazy. he's like three weeks later, we had a record deal. That's awesome. Cause you hear drunk people all the time after shows be like, Oh man, I'm going <laughs> to do this. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. I always tell them I'll talk to you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Give, yeah. Give me a call. In the line, end. But, yeah. We uh we have a thing we used to, we used to do this all the time uh, if someone comes up to some any one in the band and they're just kind of like rambling on and on and on about something whatever they're talking about like it, it could be you know fishing and you're like dude you know who you got to talk to about fishing Brian the guitar player he loves fishing I'm like Brian come here and he's like come here and I'm like I was just telling him how much you love fishing and and then you just walk away oh, and then awesome. like you just put them in. so it was like this inner joke that we would always. Have to get that's great. Your, like uh, classic. <laughs> that's great. Like, oh yeah, man. Yeah, you should talk to him about it. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit about. Uh, well, just to to put a bow on that. Yes, I think that you should. You know, you should play every gig like it's your last. You should. You should take every gig seriously. Like whether it's a cover gig, you're playing in front of three people. You're. You know, it doesn't matter what the situation is. You never know what's going to happen. Here's the thing: How many times do you think you've played gigs? And someone important was in there. Not you. I'm just saying in general. And and like you've not taken the gig seriously, and they saw you and were like, "Ah, eh, that guy's not very good." And right. it could have been exactly. could have been Justin Timberlake's, you know, uh, MD or something. You you've no idea. It's one thing to talk about how great Dream symbols are, but it's another thing to actually hear them for yourselves. And the good thing about Dream is not only do they sound great, but they're also priced well below the competitor's prices, so that way you can actually afford to buy these symbols. And if you don't think you can get a great sounding symbol at a low price, check out DreamSymbols.com. But first, I want you to take a listen to what these things sound like. To learn more about Dream symbols, be sure to check them out at DreamSymbols.com. You had sent me an email before about being on tour when you were on tour with Galactic. Um, the hip abduction was opening for Galactic, so you spent significant amount of time with Stanton. Um, what are what are some of the things 
that you learn from him. I mean, that guy's been touring and doing it to it forever. Um, what are some of the things that you learned from him, maybe from a playing standpoint, but also just like a touring standpoint and, and how to how to handle life on the road? Wow. Um, so let me start off with saying the first, I really wanted to, because I, I was always a fan of Stanton before this, right? So mm-hmm. I was like fangirling a little bit, but um, I actually reached out because I wanted to break the ice. So I set up a drum lesson for our first day that we were on the road together. And um, so he, I have to say, was that was one of the most musical lessons I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, he taught me, that man knows his history. Yes, he, he doesn't does. just know about music. He knows everything and why that happens. And all the way back to like, I don't even, man, that guy was encyclopedia. Um, and then he taught me, I was very stiff and, um, my playing was developed sort of because of drumline. I was very mm-hmm. like, how close to being perfect with the metronome can I be, right? Um, and he's got that whole theory about how you play straight. You go to swing, and then you go back in between, and you land right in the middle. And, yeah, like uh, in between the cracks, New Orleans thing. Yeah, and he opened me up to – see, and I hate to say this now, <laughs> but I was always like a chopped guy. Like, oh, you know, how badass can I make this part or whatever. Um, and he really opened me up to like – just people playing, like Clyde Stubblefield, playing just a simple groove, but it's just so stinky. The way they play mm-hmm. it's like, oh, dude. You know, um, so he opened my eyes up to that, which I, like, always look past. I'd, I'd be like, oh, that's easy. I'm not going to, you know, I want to play that. But right. then you listen to how they're doing it and all the subtleties of the swing, uh, how hard are they hitting their snare versus, you know. Um, and he showed me, like, bass drum dynamics. He'll play, like, something really light and then randomly accent parts and it just added so much feel to the groove mm-hmm. um and just watching him every night you know he doesn't hit hard as hell on stage he he plays and lets the microphones do all the work right um which i also think kind of contributes to his tone uh because they're turning the mics up so hot you know what i mean a little mm-hmm. hotter than normal and you're getting more of the drum sound and everything so uh so as far as playing i hope that cleared that up um he definitely opened up a lot in my eyes uh and for touring that's one of those dudes, he's super healthy, like working out, uh, he practices, he finds ways to practice. He'll set up a drum set in an alley if he has to next to his right. bus, you know, Yeah. and practice. Yeah, it's uh, amazing, like the one of the first things they unload from the bus is his practice kit to put in, a, yep. whether it be in a room or like, you know, or somewhere. And he'll yeah, shed he's, like before the gig and after the gig. Yeah. Oh, he is the hardest working musician I've ever met in my life. It's insane. So he took me in full on as like a student, right? Um, after a gig, I would ask him like, what was that opening groove he did? What was that song, you know? And he would say, I'll transcribe it for you and send it to you. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, just I'm expecting it maybe in a week or something. No, after the show, within like 30 minutes, I'd have a transcription of that groove in my email. And I was like, you know, holy crap. Uh, he took me on the bus a couple times to just show me like what he's doing with his website. His website was kind of like just starting to take off, you know, mm-hmm. and he's showing me all these things he's doing, that guy just does not quit. Um, and I really admire that. And I, I've tried to take on some of those, you know, yeah. abilities to do all that. And uh, so as far as touring, uh, I definitely try not to use touring as an excuse to be lazy now. I try to find, what can I do? You know, mm-hmm. I've got a, I, now I've built a website and I plan on doing, um, as soon as I find a house or studio, I plan on doing some drum lessons. Not to the extent that Stanton has done it, right. but... He did show me there's ways you can make money besides touring. You can make money while you're on the road. And, you know, so uh, I'm trying to just get my feet wet in that area. Yeah. And he's, um, a, he's a smart business guy, too, you know. Very, yeah. 
And I, th- I th- just in general, now you can't just tour. Like right. there's got to be other irons in the fire. You can't just play gigs. You can't, you're not going to join a band and sell 10 million records and be a gazillionaire. It's like, it's just, it doesn't happen anymore. Right. So even Stanton, like Stanton's an owner in that band and they, excuse me, they do really well in the touring, but he's teaching clinics. He has books. He has his website. He's like, you know, he has a symbol company or, you know, he did have the symbol company that they sold. Like you have to, and let me get your take on this. What's your take on being a being a musician and a businessman? I think it's brilliant. I'm trying to work on it myself now. Yeah, because a um, lot of people are against it. That's why I asked. They're like, "Oh no, I'm an artist, and I don't think about the business." And it's like, "Okay, well then give then give me the check then." If you don't want to be walked on, and if you want, uh, you know, uh, prolonged success, you're gonna have to figure out some business. And that that's right. what I did in school too. Is I went. I didn't actually seek a degree. I went to a music program that mm-hmm. was, it's called Mira Music Industry and Recording Arts. Um, and it's all about current, you know, the industry. And so I took classes I thought would benefit me. I didn't actually, like I said, chase a degree. Right. So I took uh, music business and law um, production classes. And I actually learned a lot from the music law side of things and contracts and just how to watch your back, basically. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even within bands, if you know there's i've seen bands where they think they're all friends and then somebody is actually getting a a foot in the door somewhere else and taking off on their own and then they just screw everybody else you know i've seen that and you know you need to know a little about business and that's more the dirty side of the business but Mm -hmm. i do want to be better at marketing and social media and trying to build up a following so that way i can have an online lesson thing going on um so that's a goal of mine that's one of those written down goals that we talked about right right (laughs) so yeah, I there's there's so many people that are, I don't you know that are anti business and like you said, if you don't want to get walked on, you got to figure this stuff out. You don't have to get your master's degree in business, but at least like no. take a couple classes or re- I mean, there's a book called All You Need to Know About the Music Business. I have that book. Yeah, it's in my like, closet right now. <laughs> yeah, everyone needs to read that book. It's like the industry standard of of it. Te- it literally teaches you everything about the music business without you know getting too deep into. I mean, I mean, it goes into contracts and everything, but it doesn't get into like super deep legal things and all that. But it's like Chance the Rapper's manager. They were like, how'd you learn about the music business? He was like, oh, I read that book. Yeah. You know, that's so, awesome. like yeah. everyone needs everyone needs to read it. Um, but I just I always like to get people's take on that because, you know, years ago, it, it's funny. There's a transition. Years ago, everyone wanted to be a rock star. Yeah. Now everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Which is a weird thing because yeah. like. You know, I, I've heard. Uh, do you know Gary Vaynerchuk? Have you ever heard of him? No, I have not. He's a just a business guy, but he's you know he's like uh, um, you know 15 years ago, if you're like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, that just meant you were a loser and you're unemployed. And now, <laughs> like, but and now, but like everyone wants to be that. Um, which so there's a lot of musicians that are like, oh, I'm a drummer slash entrepreneur or whatever it is. But there's a lot of there's a lot of musicians out there who are still purists and they're. They just don't want to, they don't want, they're like, no, 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 I'm just an artist. Like I don't get involved with the business and all that kind of stuff. And and I don't know, like you said, that's a, that's an easy way to get burned, you know? Yeah. I draw inspiration though from people like Brian Fraser Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, um, is it Eric Hernandez? I know E-Panda. Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah. Okay. He has like his own snare now. He's got, um, not that I'm at that level, but he's got his own headphones and, uh, you know, Stanton Moore's got a school, um, I just, you know, I draw inspiration from those people. And, yeah, of course. Uh, 
always I always feel like you should compare yourself to who you want to be, you know, mm-hmm. and that's definitely a a helpful way to look at your your business and your your career and, and you know just not play copycat but definitely draw inspiration from those people. So. Yeah, and there's if if you don't have these multiple irons in the fire or you know multiple revenue streams when you know if you're on tour, what happens if what happens if you get hired to go on this tour with you know whatever with Galactic, right? And then they cancel the tour. Exactly. Yeah. It's like oh, goes with that. Oh, sorry, not to interrupt. Go ahead. (laughs) No, that goes back to like um, what I was saying, where you should try to save up money for three months of bills, or Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's easier said than done, but people, you can definitely do it. Um, And it's something I'm working towards right now. That and saving up for a house, which is seems like that won't happen soon, but (laughs) I I look forward to that day. That would be nice. There was, uh, I remember Justin Bieber was on tour, and they were on this world tour, and he just canceled. The, like they they did five dates of like forty dates or whatever it was or fifty dates and they just canceled the tour. I was like, all right, well, every yeah. single one of those people who was on tour is now out of a gig. I just heard that happened to Lady Gaga too, didn't it? She has um mm-hmm. like a spinal disorder or something, and she, she has. A, I think does she? I think she has lupus, doesn't she? Is that what it was? I might I be wrong, I was, so I don't want to. I don't want to restaurant, and I saw it, and it. I couldn't even pronounce the disease, so I was like, oh. It's not like no, she doesn't have like spider bifida or something. No, um, it's something a little different. But I thought she—that's unfortunate, though. Yeah, I thought I could have sworn I—I I thought she had lupus, but maybe not, or maybe her aunt. I think her aunt died of lupus or something like that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to put all this misinformation out there, so no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna so I'm gonna stop talking. So if yeah. anyone's if anyone's <laughs> listening, I was guessing at all that stuff, and I think that I was incorrect at all of it. So and I was sidetracking. I was guiding you over there. Yeah. <laughs> so no. But yeah, I mean, when you know these tours, these tours end. The 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 weird, not the weird part, but the uh, the sort of crappy part. If you're a side guy, like if you, so when artists go on tour they have insurance. So if Lady Gaga breaks her arm, then she still gets paid because she has an, she has an insurance agreement. Right. But the art or the, all the work for hire people don't get paid. So yeah, that's that's scary stuff. So if you have multiple irons in the fire and you have all these revenue streams and all that kind of stuff, I just think it's, I think it's smart to do. Yeah. But I'll stop, uh, I'll stop rambling about that. Oh no. You're good. (laughs) Uh, so talk to me about 2018. What do you have? I mean, are you, do you, I don't know if you want to talk about some of the goals that you have, or if you, I know that you mentioned some of them, but I'm not sure you said that some of them you'd like to keep a little close to your chest. So, oh no, it's not like that. It's just, I don't know. I don't have those laying out, I guess, but, um, yeah, we got a new record in the works. Um, me and some of the guys are going to LA Sunday for a week and we're going to work on the new record. Um, and like I said, I'm trying to get better at programming drums because it's, it's time. So every day I'm trying to just practice as if I were practicing my instrument. I'm practicing, you know, with the machine and trying to get different sounds and right. just being efficient uh, with it. And then I still want to up my social media game. I hate that I have to say that, but that's the thing we have to do, right? <laughs> so do it. Yep, yep. And I'm trying to almost have a schedule now. Like I have to release a video on this day and planning ahead. Like, okay, I'm going to do this photo that day, you know, just to, so I'm not going days without post and then you know that will build up my youtube channel which will hopefully lead to my website which will hopefully lead to lessons in the future so mm-hmm. uh, so those are some goals that i can think of right now and then let's see yeah it's it's been a goal to be on this show dude that's <laughs> that was one of those moments that's a, where that's an easy one 
No, you hit me up, and I was in shock, dude. I was uh, post-tour, right? Right. Kind of just down, and I, I went on break. I was at a gig. I'm sidetracking, but I was at a gig, and I saw my email, and I was like, holy shit, no way. I was like, okay. So then I reread it, and I'm like, he's talking to me. So <laughs> that was cool. That was cool, man. I appreciate that. That was awesome. Dude, I'm glad you, I'm glad you wanted to do it. Of course. Yeah, no, I listen to the show a lot, man. It's, it's a great thing you got going. So. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that. One of the, you know one of the things that that you just said like your home post tour and then right you get an email from me right okay I'm glad that that uh, that that made you feel good that's great that's amazing so I get I uh, just to be completely transparent like I get the same thing right so and I've talked about this before but you know Monday I, you know I send out all these emails. No one responds. Tuesday, I send out all these emails. Wednesday, I'm like working all, and it's like, it feels like no one's listening to anything, right? Like for some reason, like the numbers on the podcast that week are low, like no one's emailing me. Like, I'm like, it's been all day and I literally haven't gotten an email and I normally get like hundreds of emails, right? Right. Phone's not ringing. No one's responding to anything on social media, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, what the f am I doing? Like, you know, I'm a loser. No one, you know, and you go into this this spot where it's like totally. And then you know what? Thursday, you get 15 emails back. Oh man, hey, I would love to work with you. Or <laughs> it was, you know, I I want to connect with you. Can we set up a meeting? I'd love to be on the show. I love what you're doing. And then I get like emails from people who listen to the podcast, and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm the man. Yeah, I, you know, I'm the, <laughs> yeah, you know, and you're like, I'm I'm the shit. And then you're like strut around for a couple days and then it goes back down to like i'm a loser no one likes Uh me you know and it's like not that like i don't want to make it to sound like i'm like manic depressive or anything like i'm not saying that but like it's a roller coaster it totally is and i think that the more we can deal like we can learn to to deal with those those ups and downs and just realize that like it's just part of it yeah and i love victor wooten what he says about that is when you are down turn around and look at where you've come from, right? Yeah. So, like, you've been climbing a mountain your whole life, and you feel like you're going up and down, and, and uh, you know, just turn around. That's all you got to do. Mm-hmm. Turn around and look at where you started. And yep. then uh, that helps me. And, you know, people, their perception of your career, it's like they're seeing the big steps that you're making, and you're really making all these little steps, and you're not seeing reactions from it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. uh, and people always comment when something big happens. Like, oh, my God, you're doing this, or your album made billboard charts or whatever and they're not seeing all the little things you're doing so i feel like that's where our downs are too is all those little yeah. steps in there. so i hate when people say oh man you made you know like for you oh you you're on the billboard charts you're so lucky yeah like, it ain't luck dude it's, yeah. not, it's not, no one just knocked on my door and was like hey do you want to uh you, know, you want to be on this billboard chart i yeah. you know the reassuring <laughs> thing is like everyone thinks that way everyone right. like right. you know Daniel Glass thinks that way. Like we had a conversation about it before, and it's not even like a it's not even a a um, a confidence thing or a self worth thing. I think it's just the like Josh Freeze goes like I I just had Josh Freeze on the podcast. Like he oh, goes awesome. he goes through the well, it didn't get released yet, but it will be soon. But but you know like but he he goes through it. Like the guy's on tour with fucking Sting. Yeah, you know, and he's <laughs> like, why is my phone not ringing? You know, when I'm home or something. Like everyone. We all go through it, and I think that we just have to. We got to learn to take, you know, with there's a Les Brown quote where I'm probably going to screw it up, but he says, uh, "Never, never let the good times go to your head, and never let the bad times go to your heart." Oh man, 
you know, and it's like, it's the truth because we're, you know, when we're high, we're like, oh man, I'm the man. And, you know, of course, like, of course they would call me. Yeah, of course they want to be on my (laughs) show. I got the greatest podcast in the world. And then, you know, when you're low, you're like, oh, it's me. It's my, you know, they don't like me. You're like, maybe I'm not good enough to do this. And like, we all struggle with that. We all right. do. So th- that's just me being transparent, you know, about the stuff that I go through. And I know that you go through and everybody else goes through it too. Totally. Everybody else goes through it. So for everybody out there, know that uh, you're, you're not alone if you're, if you're going through that kind of stuff, because I'm sure that, I'm sure that you do and uh, just keep rocking it. Yeah, man. So uh, go ahead. No, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, you're good. <laughs> um, you probably had a better thought. No, it wasn't a thought. I just, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to one, acknowledge all the stuff that you have done. And like you said, looking back at the things that you've accomplished, like 2011 was not a long time ago, man. And for you to set your sights on something and for you to decide that, that you're going to make a change, you're going to go in a different direction. You're going to do this professionally. And to do that, uh, I acknowledge you for that. I applaud you for that, man. I think that is, that is no small feat. You've had a lot of success in, in, a short amount of time and I respect you for that. And, and I cannot wait to see the great things that you're going to do in 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Um, so I'm excited to be watching from the sidelines to see it go down, but I just want to congratulate you for everything that you've done thus far. Man, you gave me goosebumps. Thank you, brother. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> now you, and for you, I don't even think that you could fathom how much you've changed the game for people and keeping people's heads up. You know, when I'm out on the road listening to your show, it's been, I want to thank you for that as well. So, well, thank, I I appreciate it, man. the The respect is mutual, and again, yeah. thanks thanks for being part of this. And uh, we gotta we gotta hang in real in real time some at some point. So I would love that. Yeah, every time I get a California date, I, I look at where it's, you're in San Francisco now, right? I am, but I'm in LA all the time too. So like, if okay, if we're if you're up here or in LA, let me know. Okay, yeah, I'm always looking like, oh, am I gonna be in your San Fran? <laughs> one day we'll hang out, man. That'd be awesome. Definitely. Matt, thank you again for for being a part of this, man, and continued success. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Take it easy. So that was Matt Pointer from Hip Abduction. Be sure to check him out. You can find all the links for the stuff that we talk about at drummersresource.com forward slash session 367. Also, check out his band, The Hip Abduction. He will appreciate it, and you'll get some good music out of it. So until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.